There's a Russian berserkers, a shiza, a shiza. There's a Russian berserkers, a colonel berserk. Well, shoot them, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom. Well, shoot them, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, shoot them. With what shall we shoot them, oh shiza, oh shiza? With what shall we shoot them, air colonel? With what? Mit der Flaffling, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom. Mit der Flaffling, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, Flaffling. Der Flatterling's kaputt, oh Scheiße, oh Scheiße, der Flatterling's kaputt, er könne kaputt. Well, fix it, der Volkstum, der Volkstum, der Volkstum, well, fix it, der Volkstum, der Volkstum, fix it. With what shall we fix it, oh Scheiße, oh Scheiße, with what shall we fix it, er könne with what? With a crew, der Volkstum, der Volkstum, der Volkstum, with a crew, der Volkstum, der Volkstum, a crew. The crew, it is broken, Shiza, oh Shiza, the crew, it is broken, air colonel broken. Well, rally then, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, well, rally then, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, rally them. With what shall we rally them, oh Shiza, oh Shiza, with what shall we rally them, air colonel, with what? With a feather bell, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, with a feather bell, dear Volkstrom, dear Volkstrom, feather bell. Der Vermoobel is busy, oh Scheiße, oh Scheiße. Der Vermoobel is busy, er Colonel busy. Doing what, der Volkstum, der Volkstum, der Volkstum. Doing what, der Volkstum, der Volkstum. Doing what? On the radio, oh Scheiße, oh Scheiße, oh Scheiße. On the radio with HQ, er Colonel HQ. And what is he saying, der Volkstum, der Volkstum? And what is he saying, der Volkstum? There's some Russian berserkers, oh shiza, oh shiza. There's some Russian berserkers, oh HQ berserk. is Jeff and Dave here. We're back. And it's January 25th. And we are the two half squads, and this is the two half squads, and what you are going to be listening to for the next hour or so is the two half squads. Do you know what it is, Dave? It's the one and only podcast about the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader. And we are your hosts. Yes, we are. The hostess with the mostess. How's Dave? (laughs) Doing all right, Jeff, and you? I'm glad we're almost through January. Really, I am. You looking forward to the Super Bowl? I'm seeing a lot of ads on the Super Bowl. Um, yes, I think actually I am. I watched uh, playoff games, which I normally don't do, uh, just for the two championship games. Mm-hmm. I like seeing the Patriots lose. Mm-hmm. Although I respect Tom Brady. I do, too. <laughs> you don't know anything. <laughs> I don't say he's really a nice guy. Yes. The whole inflate gate. That must be true, then. The overblown thing about the footballs. But oh, I yeah. just, just Belichick seems, I don't know. You know, you just get tired of people winning all the time, don't you? I do. Yeah. But yeah. now we have Denver and... But I play Rich Spilky anyway. 
<laughs> I do get tired of that, though. Well, the Panthers are looking pretty good, and they don't win all the time. So there's a new team with good old Ron Rivera, the Chicago Bears, 85 Bears in there. Yeah. Really? Yep. What's As he do? Their coach. He seemed, oh, I thought he's too old to play, and probably. The, and the ex-coach of Denver and the ex-coach of the Panthers are both John Fox, who helped bring those teams to greatness. And he is now coach of you know which team? The Chicago Bears? Yep. You know a lot about sports. I listen to a little bit of sports radio these days, only around football season. I don't really, uh, I don't really like sports. I, I was determined when we started this show I wasn't going to be crotchety, but here I go. <laughs> <laughs> I need, I needed to get my, I needed to get a, my car jumped the other day. That battery went dead on my Jeep. Nice, my Jeep Wrangler. And I tried to jump it with my Jetta, but the Jetta doesn't have enough giddy-up to jumpstart the Jeep. So I called around. I went on Google, and I I did a search for jumpstart. And the two top search results I called, the first one didn't answer. I thought, God, they're paying all this money to be top in Google search, and they don't even answer the phone. They pay money to be top? Oh, I'm sure they do. Everybody pays to be a top on the Google search. I thought it was number of hits. Yeah, but you pay money to get up there. To have somebody hit yeah. you all the time over yeah. and over and over again. Oh, yeah. So uh, so I called the second one, and the second one, they it was on a whole automated thing, and it said, uh, put in your zip code and we'll put you in touch with somebody. And so some guy answered the phone. He was obviously driving. He said, what do you need? And I said, I need my car jumped. He said, okay. I'll send somebody out there in an hour. What's your phone number? And he gave me the phone number. That guy never showed up. And there was no number for me to call again because this was all an automated thing. So then I called another place, a local place, and I said, can you jumpstart my car? Yes, we can. I'll have somebody call you back in five minutes. 35 minutes later, somebody (laughs) called, and I said, it's too late. Too late. I already called somebody else. So I had called this other local place. That guy finally came out to the house, and he could not, he was a nice guy, but he, I don't think he really knew how to jumpstart a car. And he came out with a in a big tow truck with a battery on the side, you know, for, for charging batteries and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's for jumping cars. But he didn't really know how to do it. It took him 20 minutes to get a good connection, and there's only four. There's only four. There's only no, four I, I think I have to look, do. I know one is a ground. The, yeah. Hmm. took him 20 minutes maybe 25 minutes and i just thought i bet this guy and all these guys can recite all the sports statistics for the last 30 (laughs) years but they cannot answer the phone respond to a customer and send somebody out that's competent enough to jumpstart a car now why is that maybe that's just a fluke experience Although I had to That's get... That's what my wife thinks, that I'm fluked. <laughs> I had to get my alignment done so the tire place doesn't do it. So we went to, well... Mr. Alignment. Yeah. Alignment King. Brain freeze. Some some place. There's two of these places, same name. It's a chain. Mm-hmm. And called the one. Oh, our calibration machine is down right now. It's a small I'm chain like, if oh, there's only two. But I guess local, two local. Oh, I see. One right here on our intention road by the pizza, Barnaby's. Oh, yeah. from JD's. Like Car X. Car X, thank you. Yeah. That's where I take my car. <laughs> um, 
well, and so then they couldn't do it. Then I called the other one. They said, yes, Saturday's fine. Then they called, left me a message. Oh, our calibration machine's down. Can we do it next week? So I called again, and he... What, just tires? Or the other car X? Car, the other oh, car okay. X. So he yeah. knocked the one that you go to, Jade, by yeah. across from JD's. And can you smell the barbecue all the way across the street from no. JD's? Oh, no. Man, that place inside is wonderful. And you know when you leave JD's barbecue, your shirt, your whole clothing smells like the barbecue. You noticed that? We've been there for lunch. Yeah, I've never noticed that, though. Yeah, I keep my clothing hanging up and just smell them every once in a while. <laughs> See, I have an outfit that I wear there, and I only wear it when I'm at JD's. <laughs> so it's just permeated. Yeah. And so they did get me in finally on a Monday and knocked 10 bucks off. You know, I went on Yelp, or and you're searching for these places, and you get these stupid ratings. It's not even the place. Yeah. You get a Yelp site or something. Yeah. Where you click on it and it says, oh, yeah, this place exists. And then here's people's reviews. And they're usually all crappy. Usually all crappy. And a lot of them are eight years old. <laughs> I don't mean the oh. people are eight years old, but the reviews are eight years old. Yeah. I thought you meant. Yeah. People eight, people eight usually only kids. go on and complain when they're. If, if they're mad. If they're mad. They don't, yeah. yeah. So I read all through this. I'm like, well, Gina, I'm getting worried about going to this car X yeah. place. But then a couple people raved about it. So I, I'm just going to go. And it was great. They didn't try and say, oh, we've got other stuff wrong with your car. Yeah. You know, seemed fine. They're good there. So. They got me a new battery. I got that all fixed. But, you know, it was all I needed was a jump, and then, then I was going to drive over there. Should have been done quickly. I ended up spending like five hours trying to get all this done. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, and I charge $150 an hour. Everything takes longer, that's for sure, and, than you're yeah. thinking. Oh, yeah. Always. Shouldn't be that way. Even packing to come here tonight, I think it took me like half an hour. Really? Get to pack your... cooler. I had to go up and get ice. I didn't have a cold beer. I had to get the journal together. I had to pack up the two computers. I just kept walking up and down the steps and packing. And Why is life so hard? <laughs> yeah, and we have, it, we have it easy. Life is so hard. Sitting here in our nice little comfortable home record, yeah. recording a silly show because we have too much time on our hands. Yeah. So how about that snowstorm at Oktoberfest? No, not Oktoberfest. At the Winter Offensive. Did they get hit? Do you know? Oh, probably. Maryland? Yeah. I, I'm sure they did. Yeah, I didn't, was that, I didn't was, look was on MMP's website Was that this yet. last weekend? Yeah, it was this oh, weekend. I was going to go. I, I was going to go. Oh, <laughs> this is the place to come for all your ASL news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to go this year because they moved it off of the three-day weekend. Yeah. So I wouldn't get penalized at work for taking off a You day. weren't going to go. How well, you gonna, I asked you to go. You, yeah. We already recorded on the other show. It, oh. There's evidence. How are you going to get there? We were going to drive. Yeah. And then you said no. That's a long haul. I'm all into convenience. <laughs> I'm really, I really am. It's like, and I, I don't even want to go to Gen Con this year. You know why? Because Indy is four hours away. We can go to Gary Con, which so, is in Lake Geneva. We could be there in an hour and a half. We'll try the Gary Con. Yeah. I'll do the Little Wars right over here yeah. by O'Hare. And... The ASL Open. Yeah. Very Even local. that's getting far. They moved it to a hotel that's another mile away. <laughs> Different hotel. I'm thinking, ah, no. You know, if they brought it here, I'd think about it. <laughs> to your house. You got yeah. a lot of room in this basement. Yeah. Could do it here in the broadcast. That's Fox true. Hall. That would be something. Well, ASL Open on parade. So this is episode 154. On ice. Yes, 154. 154. And tonight yeah. we have... Uh, or in German, that's 154. <laughs> or Fumpf. Fumpf is four. We'll, we'll in German. Did our, you know that? Fumpf is four. 
I could never speak German. It's too funny. <laughs> Did you hear the fellow? Yeah, he said fumpf. I thought I was going to split the gut. I couldn't do it. If there, there probably is no like fifty fifth Panzer division. And did they make? Did they make an eighty eight millimeter gun? I mean, a forty four because uh, fifty five millimeter gun. Because it would have to be called fumpty 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 Satanavar. Yeah, yeah, fumpty fump. We got to go. The fumpties are fumpty fump star blasting away at us. And you know how old I am how now? How could that hurt? You're are you fumpty fump? <laughs> are you am. really? I am. Wow. So now I get the Denny's discount. Older people's menu and i always wanted <laughs> i always wanted to use what's that it's just soft food <laughs> it's a lighter fare for oh, a lesser lighter. price ah and all the guys at breakfast would order off it and i'm like mm, i can't wait till i can order off of that <laughs> and then i haven't yet since i turned 55 yeah but i go for something a little more meaty yeah so we got journal three we're gonna finish that we got yes, we do we got uh what's up first then it's not gonna be journal three it's going to be What have you been playing lately? What have you been playing lately? <laughs> that was live. That was not even the sped up recording version. No. Well, hey, I've been playing D&D. You have been playing D&D. Yeah. How's mm-hmm. that going? Good. I've been playing Circus Maximus, Chariot Races, mm-hmm. and the Guys Knights. And now we're switching off of that. Going to go for the Gladiator for the next several rounds of Guys Knights. And I've been playing some ASL. I was wondering why you were all oily. Gladiator? You've been playing the gladiator thing? You get all oiled up? I'm thinking of Roman Greco wrestling. Is that different? (laughs) Yes, that's different. Or is it Greco Roman? Greco Greco Roman. Greco Roman. So I got Torment at Tormua. Tormua. 164. ASL scenario 164 from Hakapale. And who did you play that fun scenario with? Uh, Dave Timonen, we are replaying mm-hmm. them all, as we've stated before. You know me. Got to go in order. And Excuse me for asking. Boy, this has an OB. Look at that. Look at all those troopers. Now, I'm having a memory problem on this one. The Finns win by amassing more victory points than the Russians awarded normally. And each building control on board 42 is worth two victory points. Mm-hmm. God, that sounds great. Yeah, I won with the Finns. The way you read it, it just sounds so good. Against Dave Timonen. Mm-hmm. And it's not coming back to me very well. Did he long. go home angry? No, no, no. Oh, always good. a good sport. It's always why it's fun yeah. to play. I do remember this other one, but why don't you do that one first? Okay. I've been playing uh, Bounding Fire Productions from their Crucible of Steel module. BFP 75, Schreiber's Success. And all of these scenarios take place in and around Kursk, the engagement at Kursk in the summer of 1943. This particular scenario, obviously, Russians against Germans. Rich is playing the Russians in this one in a defensive position, and he is defending uh, about, he's got about 20, maybe 23, 24 buildings, something like that, wooden buildings. It's all pretty flat ground. There's a little bit of a hillock type thing uh, and some grain that I got to go through. Anyway, he's got to defend these buildings, and I need, as the Germans, I need to capture 17 buildings. 
I like these victory conditions. They're nice and short. Yes. So in, in order to do that, he gets about 12, 13 squads of Russians and three leaders and a couple of AT guns, several pillboxes, nine AT ditches, six trenches, four wires, uh, wire counters, 30 factors of minefields, four factors of AT mines. So he's got a lot of stuff defending. And coming in against him, I've got, though, this is great, I've got 10 658s, a 10 2, an 8 1, an 8 0, then a 9 1, an 8 8 1, and uh, seven more 658s. Those all come in on turn one. All the SS. So, yeah. And then on turn three, I get 8 3 8s, the assault engineers. And another 9-1 leader. I get, I've got leaders coming out the wing-wang. Flamethrowers, DCs? Two flamethrowers and four DCs. Ah. And three tanks. So. You're welcome. Rich, yeah. So Rich set up uh, a good defense, and I like this I like this scenario because I'm winning. We're going well, to finish how it How is it you're holding the boards up in the air and there's no counters on it if you're in the middle of the game? Well, this is, uh, we're playing at Rich's house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would explain yeah. it. So he set up a line of defense just in front of all of his buildings with all of his ditches and AT ditches and wire, leaving just a very small opening for me to kind of funnel through. So if I want to get my tanks through, that's where I've got to go through. His mistake, I think, was, and I, it, it even feels funny saying this about Rich Spilkey, he set up his trench a little bit too close to the building, so he's within one hex. So as I run on... I run on, I get in those trenches, which give me nice cover. And I can, if I get hit, I can rally there. How'd you get through the open ground? The well, he's he's way in the back. He's got to set up in the back. <clears throat> so I get across the open ground. Well, I'm just very clever, Dave. <laughs> I've got a little bit of, I had a hill in the back to hide behind a little bit. I had a, there's a, there's a two-story building or a one-story two-hex building, I guess is what this is. And he set up a minefield in, in each of those, the building hexes. And you went in them? I went in them, but I went in them with half squads. Okay. I sent a couple of half squads in because I wanted to know Smart. what was in there. So then I I did this very trickily. I had a couple of trickly large... is not a word. Yeah, I think it should be. I had a couple of nice stacks with leaders, stack of three squads, and I moved up adjacent to the building. And then you may recall this, if you're moving into a minefield, if you use all of your movement factors to move into a minefield, you don't take the minefield hit. What? Yeah. If you move up next to a minefield. Then use then all your, your movement turn, factors the next turn. All your movement factors the next turn. You put a partial break in there. Well, it's clear. A partial trail You have trail to roll break. to clear, though. You do a partial trail break in there. Yeah. And you do not take the hit. Well, uh, I take that back. You don't do the partial trail break. But you do not take the minefield hit. Now you can't get out of there. You don't have to declare it. But as you a, can get in there. You don't have to declare it as a clearance attempt. No. Oh, boy! I need to reread the rules. Yeah. So that's very. So I got into those buildings with all these squads. Well, once I was in there, then I could do the clearance attempt, and you get minus off the die, die roll for for having squads in there. It's minus two for each squad. Yeah. For, so I yeah. had minus six. Yeah. For each plus a couple of neg one or neg two leaders. Yeah. So I had lots of negatives. So I did clearance so that I, I was able to do a clearance out one end of the building. So then I just ran everybody out that door. In one side, out the Into other. Into the grain. Yep. For cover. Yes. 
Huh. So remember that, folks, when and, you're running into those minefields. And you have the high, high morale on them. Yeah, that's definitely helpful. So, so you're, you're all into the ditches and trenches already? And I'm into the that? ditches, and I'm starting to move into the buildings now. Yeah. So I've gotten through the... Uh, Why wasn't Rich defending at the front of those buildings? Uh, he he did have squads. Oh, okay. He's got squads up there, but they <clears throat> eventually broke. And he had them moved up so that they were getting wall advantage. But then I had a squad over on the side that could take some side shots on them. And because they have the wall advantage, they're not in the building. So he, he kind of withered away there. Yeah. Now his tanks have been good. Um, have been kind of effective as they came on. But he did break then a couple of his main armaments, which is never a good thing. Correct. And uh, so it's going fun. well. I think I, we're going to try to finish that tomorrow night, and I think I'm going to win that one. So if well, you hear it screaming, that's what that is. Well, Dave and I played uh, Lagos Assault Guns, number 174, from the Hakapele. And um, I had lost with the Russians in our playtests. I had always won with the Russians or with the Finn. And in our real game, uh, I lost with the Russians here. The... Assault guns, because you've got the 152 to 122 big Stalin tanks and the big uh, SU-152 and some T-34s. Nice tanks. You can either go to the right board through the woods Mm -hmm. and exit points or get them across a certain hex grain Mm -hmm. over a little river and through the woods to Grandmother's house we'd go. Mm -hmm. Is there a little river band? And on the left side, you could get... Points by you have to capture six or more buildings, so I s- kept the holding force on the left to hold them in the building area. I started shooting through the woods, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to keep going this way. I guess now it just seems like originally I thought I might take the buildings, but there's a lot of open ground by the buildings on board. Maybe those were on board 17, but it's 32 and 17, and once the woods board, 32 is the woods board, yeah, and the. I kind of coaxed him a little. I'm like, you may want to start pulling out. He thought, I can't possibly win this. You're shooting by me on the right. I said, Dave, if you start moving everyone, everyone over, all you got to get is a couple squads along that path in the woods to just to slow me. Right? Yeah. You break a couple I'm down a turn rallying, and time is, is running short. So I got up to that river, and then I suddenly had a saw along the far right side of that forest. The Russian can go bypass a couple woods, get across the river, bypass this little house, and make a huge movement with a leader double-timing. And I just shot all the way up. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And and then I had tanks had to get on. Oh, I also had two mobile AFEs. And at one point in the game, I looked at it and went, oh, he's blocking this road. I'm going to just go bypass this woods down into the stream with the tank have to take a bog check coming out i think yeah it's the only threat it's avoiding his panzer fausts the fins get some fausts fins with fausts very fun fins with, yeah. and come up out of that river and just go in and bypass the woods again and i'm in that hex row to win i'm like this is gonna be so he's gonna be shocked that i even see this move to yeah. just go yeah and i ran all my men across the river to the right and then I forgot about the tank move, and I, I stayed on the road and went into his squad. How do you explain that? I, for- <laughs> I think there's something wrong with your brain. <laughs> it's getting bad. 
I went straight up the road into his squad, thinking, well, he may not have a Panzerfaust, he may fail the roll, you know, yeah. got to fail the roll, plus the front armor on some, no, it would be shredded no matter what. And I forgot to go around. Oh, Unbelievable. Dang. And I didn't even think about the next day, I'm like, wait a minute, I was going to take that tank to the right too, like the infantry were shooting over there. What the heck? I stayed on the bridge and... Don't. I don't know. They had a senior moment. Yeah. I guess. That's because I'm fumpty fump. Yeah, that's right. So that's what I've been playing lately. Is that all you got? That's all I got. That's all you got. Oh, Jeff. Jeff. Are you ready to go to Mayhem in Manila? I sure am, Dave. I've got my bags packed. I've got my passport and my hat. Do you have your OBA cards? No, I don't. How would I get some? Why, you'd have to go to Ritterkrieg and order some. Ritter Creek? I don't know anything about it. Tell me. Well, this is the great online store of ASL equipment. ASL wooden gaming products like dice towers, custom-made tabletops, an ammo box map and map case, and all kinds of ASL products. You can order yours today and have it shipped to Mayhem in Manila. I wow. I'm going to get all that stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my wife I can't afford to take her, but I'll take all my Ritter stuff with me. But Jeff, you might be able to take her because a donor has donated our air flight (laughs) to Asia. Sweet. All right, then this is the best thing that could happen. I can take my wife, I can take all my Ritter Krieg equipment, and we're going to Mayhem Mayhem in in Manila. Manila. And... These OBA cards aren't the crappy kind that we sold on our podcast. No. These are those really cool quality ASL OBA cards. It's a gigantic deck of cards that it, you can use for all of your OBA requirements. All of your OBA requirements. And do you know what makes ordering from Ritter Krieg the best option for any pre-orders? Tell me. They have free shipping. <gasps> Impossible. Take that, MMP. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, how do we get to uh, order this Ritter Krieg stuff? Well, you simply go to Ritterkrieg.com, R-I-T-T-E-R-K-R-I-E-G.com. I'm heading there right now. See you in Manila, Dave. See you in Manila. And David, oh David. Yes, sir. Do you know what time it is? It's time for What's... In the box. In the box. And it's Journal 3, continued, part 2. Yeah, part in deux, the box. as they say in France. And Jeff, you said you took a second look at that article. Are you feeling guilty of your brutal... Yes, as they say in France, we oui. Evaluation. Yeah, and I'm feeling bad for the French, and so in their honor, it's Edith Piaf singing the La Marseillaise. Did you know who Edith Piaf was? No. Do you know now who she is? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Singing her little French heart out. It's actually a pretty good tune. Oh, it's a great tune. Yeah, especially in uh, Casablanca, the movie. It's very ah. stirring. Anyway, uh, yeah, I remember uh, in French, I don't know if you knew this, but I was a minor in French. In college. How old were you when you were in France then? 
12 to be a minor? Is that the age? <laughs> Where do you get the comedy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I minored in French in college without ever taking any French. Well, I shouldn't say that. I did take French. Is everybody confused now? Yes. I know I am. Well, maybe I've mentioned it one time, but I, I was going through college and I thought, I need a minor. And my advisor said, well, you only need like seven more hours and you could have French be your minor. And I said, well, all I've taken is two years of French language. And he said, yeah, well, and I said, I don't want to take any more French language. He said, you don't have to. There's these two classes you can take. They're taught in English. So one of them was a French novel course. Maybe oh. there were three, three courses. Okay. French novel course taught in French, but you spoken in English. We spoke it in English. We just took a French novel and translated the whole thing with a dictionary, with a French-English dictionary. Wow. Crazy. That sounds like work. That was one class. Second class was a French novel class taught entirely in English, and the French novels were all in English, so we read like Balzac and, not Balzac, but Rabelais. Rabelais. <laughs> no, we didn't read Rabelais, but like uh, um, Madame Bovary, Gustave Flaubert, anyway, others. Uh-huh. And then the other one was also in English. I can't even remember what it was. It was like French cooking. I don't even know. How to order in a French restaurant. I don't know. But I ended up with a minor in French. So don't ask me. But don't ask me to speak any French. <laughs> well, that's the listeners have asked okay. us not to speak any French. Yes. Yeah. And now you know. And it's surprising how bad my French is, considering all the French I haven't had. <laughs> you know, I went back and I did. I was feeling a little bit bad uh, last episode for for so severely panning this particular article, <laughs> The French Expeditionary Corn Scandinavia by Laurent uh, Clossier. Yeah, I almost, maybe he's French. I almost edited it all out. Did, really? Yeah. <laughs> almost. Well, hopefully I can make amends here because I did read through the article again today and I did understand it. And it's, it's actually not bad. You know, I do think the article that was not as good was the one that you had. Mm. Yeah. That one was more confusing. But this article really talked about, uh, as the French were getting into, really as the Allies were getting into the war, it was very early on in the war. And, uh, over in Europe, the Allies were sort of vacillating. Should we get into the war? We, when, when do we send troops? When do we not send troops? You know, Poland, the Germans took Poland, but we don't want to do anything yet. We're just going to stand here and look stern. Well, eventually they decided when, the, when Germany moved into Norway, they thought, we better get in there. So, along with some al other Allied forces, British and so forth, they sent in the French. Send in the French! And as a lot of stuff seemed to happen, as I read about this, as the Allies in particular were entering the war, it was a little bit um, problematic getting stuff done because they'd never, they hadn't done this kind of thing before. So it says here the French forces didn't, they, they launched some ships with French troops. It said the French forces did not, did not all land in one place in Norway. Just like the British, they found themselves scattered in various points on the western coast of Norway. Worse yet, their equipment was not on ships whose convoys sailed separately from the troop convoys. That's never a good thing. And that was prov to pr prove disastrous. I remember reading that about that in uh, An Army at Dawn, which is by Rick Atkinson. 
as the Americans were mm. getting into the war and they were sending ships over to North Africa. And they didn't know how to load ships for sending overseas to supply troops. And so the first ships that they sent out were like the, cig the cigarette ships. Yeah. They just had nothing but 150,000 <laughs> cartons of cigarettes. They forgot to send the guns and the ammo. Anyway, the article goes along to say, uh, in the early morning of the 20th, the various battalions of the Demi Br Brigade took position around the city of Namos in Norway. Still missing were the battery of 25-millimeter AA guns and all the infantry equipment, skis, snowshoes, ammunition, etc. So here they were sent in. They didn't have any stuff to fight with. So maybe they just went bang, bang. With their fingers? Yeah. And maybe broom handles. So it's not starting off very well, and then the Germans are sort of sort of harassing them. The Luftwaffe is harassing them, but finally uh, the French ship gets pulled into the harbor. The uh, V de Alger, which was carrying all the equipment of the Demi Brigade, it arrived at the mouth of the fjord leading to Namos on April 22nd. Because of the constant threat posed by the Luftwaffe, and in view of the damage inflicted on the port installations, the British staff didn't want the ship to dock. So there's all their equipment. They couldn't let it dock. So they brought it in at night, and only 800 of the 1,200 managed to land, and almost all of the equipment, including the AA guns, had to remain aboard. So, I mean, they're just having a terrible time. So for that, I actually like that about this article. I like to see the stuff that doesn't work out well. Yeah. So then the weather got bad. Things were turning to mud. The Luftwaffe was still trashing them. And finally they got their equipment on a about five days later. And so the article goes on to describe how the 5th Demi Brigade and the 27th Demi Brigade made their various movements to and around Narvik and eventually uh, evacuating Narvik. So that's kind of the gist of the article, and it's, it's actually pretty oh, good. Oh, well, I'm glad you had a second look. Yeah. For sure. Now, what's next? What do you got? Well, we have the scenarios... That are, there's a ton of them in here, so maybe I'll just read through the titles quick. And you get your Norway ones: Bridge of Verdalsora, Verdalsora, <laughs> uh -huh. Tretten in Flames, mm -hmm. Norway one. Bitter Defense at Ada, Norway indeed, and Might Makes Right, both in Norway, using your Allied Miners counters uh, by ourselves, Norway, and then Grebby End was in Holland. 1940. I kind of remember that one. Three, third RTR in the rain. Do you know why there are no ASL s scenarios that uh, take place in Sweden? Because Sweden was neutral. That's right. <laughs> How do they do that? They just I'm going to do that. <laughs> Next time there's a war, I'm just going <laughs> to... Neutral. Sorry. Now, this third, AT, third RTR... In the rain, you get uh, uh, some of the some vehicles you never use a lot, the AS and the MK Vic for the um, British here. I kind of do remember that. And Audacity, Norway, taking place in Norway, not the recording system we use. Uh, the last roadblock in Norway, kind of remember that one. Strong Point Eleven over to. Uh, Asia, Japanese, Dutch. They're here, reverse. I always don't like this title. It's too many exclamation marks, points. Too many exclamation points. Yeah, I don't like that either. It's and like reading a comic book. 
Blood Enemies has some aerial support, I think. It's got a picture of a plane in it, but I don't remember that one. G48. Desperate Dash in Russia with Cavalry. The Cactus Farm. I remember that one. Tunisia. Kanikati, Sicily. Dress Rehearsal. Now, this starts a series of three games. I played these with Rick Hollander. He's into community theater a lot, so it seemed appropriate to play Dress Rehearsal. Setting the stage, all in Russia, and Showtime, Showtime. right? Because that's a mini uh, campaign that we'll look at when we get to that part of the magazine. And Matsumoto's Charge, which was a Napumga scenario. The board, Napumga, was a big historical map. Oh, I don't know that. I don't think I know that one. Do you You have that? You you may not. Of course I have that one. Whip it out. I'm wondering if it came with this magazine? No. No, but there's another scenario for it. Hmm. Burnt Out Case, Belorussia, Guards Artillery, Maison Cerez, France. Oh, that was good. Number eight, Platoon Overrun. You know, if we don't draw attention to it, Holland. we might just slip that through. Holland, and this one, look, takes place on the a Bridge Too Far board. Oh. So if you have those games, you do have a little extra scenarios you, mm-hmm. you may not have known were out there for those games. Uh, Friday the 13th, East Prussia, bad luck in Germany, American East, German. East Prussia, 44. when? When was it? That, that? that was the looking like uh, 44, yeah. Okay. Oh, because we're reading about that in the book. Yes. Yeah. Fall of Berlin, 1945. Yes. In the bag, Selles, Belgium. I remember that one. Lee's Charge, Belgium. Wow. 45. Lots of scenarios. This one's There's really more? Short. Silesian Interlude, Upper Silesia. We're reading about that, too. 1945. Yep, there it is. And uh, Kakazu Ridge, uh, another unique board yes. historical game. Yeah. American Tragedy. Brave Little Emchas. I remember this one. Is a deluxe. Get your, break out your deluxe boards oh, for this yes. one. And that's it. Yep, they're all in the center for better removal rather than being spread out all over the magazine. That was a new thing they were doing. A new thing they were doing. Mm-hmm. There's a campaign game for, for Conf Group Piper. Break that out. Wow. Wow. Dust wh- off your old stuff. And what do you have, sir? I've got a scenario review of J33 Slaughterhouse by Matt Shostak, which I kind of skipped over last time. Uh, and this is a this is a great looking scenario. It's late in the war, nineteen forty five, and the Germans on the Eastern Front are are holed up in a couple of factory type fortifications and the Russians are trying to weed them out. And uh, I'll just read a couple of bits here because he, he does make it sound good. Assaulting these factories won't be easy for the Russians. A healthy portion of wire and mines allow the German player to turn one of the factories into a real fortress, or to harass the Russian advance on both of them. Factories have certain advantages on the defense that Germans should be able to exploit. And this is why I like this part. They do not incur backblast penalties when firing Panzerfausts or Panzerschrecks from within, which should help the Russian uh, help keep the Russian armor at bay. They can also set up very powerful stacks inside the factories in such a way that the assaulting Russians cannot easily see them until they actually enter the factory. Yeah, that's a good trick. And right there, he pretty much says that 
the, that's pretty much the defense that the Germans should set up. Should set up. Yeah. He says the Germans can win by retaining control of either factory. Therefore, they can put most of their resources to work defending just one of them. And But these are always tricky, aren't they? Because you think, well, I only have to keep, I, I need to keep the two. I should just let the first one go and concentrate on yeah. defending the second <clears throat> one. But the problem with that is if you let it go too quickly, if you don't put enough, uh-huh. if you don't put somebody up there to slow them down in that, in that easy-to-take factory in this case, if it goes too fast, then suddenly he's at the doorstep of your second he's, factory. And he's got one more he's time, got time to pound on it. Yeah, so you've got you've to be splitting it up in such a way that that's balanced out. Now, fortunately, he lists a, a table here of a possible German defense, and he lists all the setup for it, which would be great to get out. Hmm. Set that up, and then on the Russian offense, he says, just as the Germans prefer to defend one factory more strongly than the other, I think it behooves the Russians to commit more force to one factory, overwhelm it quickly, and then focus on the other from multiple directions. Seven turns is not a lot of time to pull off this assault, so the first factory must be taken and its defenders smashed in short order. And he gives a table here for a possible assault that the Russians can do based on the German setup that he he had. He says, storming a factory is difficult business, especially when there's a stack of defenders inside ready to blast any assailants with huge amounts of firepower. Probably one of the best ways to crack such a nut is to time the assault so that everything hits at once. For example, a tank could batter its way into the factory and sit on top of the defending kill stack. If it survives, it'll survives, it'll suppress their fire. And he goes on to talk about the possibilities there. So... Get out your slaughterhouse. Excellent. And I think you also had the Broadway to Prokhovorka. Yes. Did you look at that? Or? Uh, I, I looked over it quickly. He, you know, this is the combination. It's a mini campaign game, and it takes scenario dress rehearsal, setting the stage and showtime, and kind of ties them together with some between scenario refit phase and stuff. I really didn't look at it too closely because I'm not that interested in these it's a lot kinds of, of things it's yeah, not much rules, to talk about rules really. tables yeah. right there is some corrections on it i have in mind uh there's an added number 7 on the page 60 and some corrections on page 61 just of when reinforcements enter uh so folks you want to find that before you play the mini campaign game but I, yeah this is the one i did with rick hollander so i kind of forget how it went also um but it was very, very simple, very nice. Yep. And uh, then keep on trucking. ASL transport and ASL by Perry. Yeah, this was a this was a very good article, though. Now let's see. Now I'm not going to say anything bad about it. <laughs> you <clears throat> so can. I'll, I'll skip over the first part. Oh, I just thought the first couple of paragraphs were kind of just a filler. It's fine. People oh. like to read about <clears throat> ASL, so it's fine. Usually when I read these things, I'm kind of in a hurry. I'm not sitting down with a with a cup of tea and just yeah. languishing in it. Yeah. I kind of want to get, get on with it. But it is a very, uh, I think, a pretty complete article on how to use trucks in ASL. And just the fact that trucks are in ASL is kind of interesting because usually trucks are not part of a combat situation. Mm-hmm. ASL is very focused on the actual attack and defensive units, and not so much on a bigger strategic 
point of view and moving men and material, but trucks are in there. And so Perry goes on through this pretty extensively and talks about what you can do with them, how you can move them and so forth. And he talks about, for instance, one thing a truck can do is tow guns. I don't do that very often, but towing is, is a good way to get your guns around. Uh, the thing you need to remember when you're towing a gun is, of course, that not all trucks can tow all guns. So you've got to be, you got to look for the T number and the gun's M number and make sure that that particular truck can tow a gun. And then you got to remember that you, you have some drawbacks to when you're towing things. Towing a gun not only adds one movement point per hex traversed, it also imposes certain movement restrictions. There's no bypass movement if you're towing. No reverse, oh, yeah. yeah. no crossing a wall or hedge. That kind of makes sense. <laughs> uh, mortars of the between 76 and 107 millimeters are actually carried in the vehicle, so the, the movement restrictions and stuff don't apply for those. Um, vehicles carrying these mortar guns can stop and bypass uh, of an obstacle and unload. So those are not quite as uh, restrictive. Giving the movement points uh, cost for unloading, you're not going to be able to load, move, and unload a gun in the same turn. Sometimes you're just better off just pushing the thing. So if you don't have to move it very far, push it. And one of the advantages of pushing a gun is that in the advanced fire phase and defensive fire phase, you can fire it without losing your labor counter. So while you're actually okay. moving a gun, you can fire it. Now, here's one that I had no idea this first time I heard this an alternative to towing exists for some truck gun combinations carrying the gun and portee and portee yeah uh -huh. oh look at that Dave <laughs> smug Dave <laughs> oh yeah you portee you're gonna use importe. well there's the donkey version right when they take it apart and load it on the donkeys in the Pacific games oh that's right yeah um so that's wasn't in, the in Porte when you do you dismantle it more and load it on the truck or no you is that when you fire you, it you load it on the truck actually some british german italian and french guns may be carried in Porte, which means they are loaded onto a vehicle and carried as a passenger yeah instead of being towed so the applicable ordnance notes will describe exactly which guns can be portied by which vehicles during which periods and then, uh, the, as a passenger, the gun and its ammo together use all but five portage points of the vehicle's passenger capacity. So you can't have a lot of infantry going along with it. Vehicle may yeah. not simultaneously have one gun in porty and another hooked for towing. Oh, okay. When you're unloading, a gun can be unloaded only if a crew counter has spent its entire movement factor allotment as an unpinned, non-entrenched, good order infantry in the location of the gun in a non-bypass vehicle in a declared attempt, which, and it makes it subject to hazardous movement. The rec rule is a vehicle porting a gun is not flipped over to its rec side if it becomes immobilized, and the gun may still be unloaded, after which the counter's flipped. If a vehicle porting, porting a gun is eliminated, the gun is eliminated too. So that's just a little side note about porting. I've never done it, but I think we should do it. Get out the portee right now. Yeah. Then Perry goes on to say, back to the article, after you've unloaded your gun, what do you do with the truck? Well, this is an idea I haven't thought of. You could actually keep the truck in the hex with the gun in case you need to move it again. 
Uh, yeah. Now that's that's a little <clears throat> risky because the gun can take fire, maybe catch fire, <laughs> and create smoke in the hex. And then you've got oh, a gun in the hex right. and you can't shoot out because yes. the flame and the smoke are there. He then goes on to talk about what guns can, uh, what trucks can do with support weapons, ammo, and infantry. And this is a good one if you're the Russians, because the Russians cannot dismantle those big machine guns they have. So putting them on a truck really makes it useful if you need to tote them a long distance. Support weapons can travel unpossessed on a truck, as well as half-tracks and carriers. Guns, too, can travel unpossessed if they're in portie or towed. This can be a good way to move those heavy weapons through enemy fire. And he points out here that because they're not possessed, they'll be maybe less attractive targets because they don't have many personnel with them. So maybe you can yeah. scoot them through there and unload them without them taking a hit. Um, if passenger-free, all towing vehicles have room... Oh, he, he goes on to talk about toting the ammo along with the gun. Because you can't just pull the gun. you got to take the ammo with. You do? Yeah. You've got a furrowed brow. Look at your brow. I, there's it's no furrowed. ammo counter. Well, there's a... Ammo for big guns, like bigger than 100 millimeter, yeah. cost eight portage points. And for small guns, less than 100 millimeter, four huh. portage points. Even for the dismantled 76 to 82 millimeter mortars they have that four portage points that they need for the ammo so you got to read those ammo rules which i would never want to do and if i had to i would just skip towing the gun yeah. <laughs> well yeah i don't want to read all those ammo rules but it makes sense can't just tow the gun around without any bullets big bullets the guns shoot now here's some truck tricks we like tips and tricks don't we First, let's discuss some of what the trucks cannot do. They cannot serve as sniper bait. Sorry. Oh, not a, not an eligible sniper target? Nope. Trucks cannot provide TEM or hindrance unless they're wrecked. Uh, I think that is correct. Well, it says it here. It must be correct. <laughs> Perry says it. Trucks cannot... Oh, I already said that. You can't blow up your own truck to make it into a wreck. Oh. Unless it's in melee. Then you can. Trucks don't have vehicular smoke grenades. Yeah. Since they are unarmed, they cannot force a unit to route. Okay. They are considered broken for all concealment purpose, neither denying concealment nor forcing its loss. Okay. Trucks are not good order. They cannot claim wall advantage. It used to be that trucks could DM units by moving adjacent and prevent units in line of sight from routing towards them and control the location that they solely occupy, but that was erraticized. Well, it was. Okay. They took that out. Here's some of the slimy things that trucks can do. Now, so trucks without passengers cannot invoke trickle, triple point blank fire target selection restrictions. However... You probably didn't have much use for that conscript half-squad anyway, so load them in to the truck and drive into the hex in bypass, if you prefer, with the like an enemy's 88 gun, AT gun. As long as the half-squad survives, even if it's broken, the 88 
can't fire out of the hex. Oh, yeah. Clever. Some other things. Uh, berker, berserk berkers. Berkers <laughs> will charge them. Oh, berserkers <laughs> will charge them. So you could park one in front of your big fire group and the berserker would stop at the truck. Maybe you thought it was a food truck. <laughs> and in the desert, uh, trucks can throw up a vehicle dust screen to help protect your other forces. Correct, which yes. Which is a handy tactic. I have actually used that. DM and route denial tactics were the worst offenders, and, and those were fixed. And he uh, Perry says here, each was certainly as ahistorical a tactic as any. He said, you know, because really, historically, you wouldn't have a truck driving around behind enemy lines. No. Or doing Going anything around, like that. Going around, riding so, up to people yeah. and running away and then, yeah, driving here yeah. and there. So he says, so... Which truck is best? That's, I won't read that part because it's kind of long and gets technical. He ends up by saying, with hundreds of official scenarios, including absolutely no truck transport, you could safely skip over this article and the whole mortar transport pool. And in general, buck the truck. I had to reread that. That, that word is a little <laughs> blurred out here. Whole modules have. But where's the challenge in that? It's not always easy figuring out what to do with your friend, the truck. So I hope reading this article will help you in that goal. And so go out there and look for some truck articles. All right. Very good indeed. I'll wait for you here. And I have this topography page. I always like this where they list all the boards. Of course, there's too many boards now to list. There was only 52 in those days. Ah, and, the good old days. And the deluxe boards. And then I did the article, looked at the article, Rules of Engagement with uh, SASL Guidelines, which is your solitary SL. Uh, Robert Delwood is our fine author here. And uh, he says in the opening, one piece of advice new players usually get is to have a set... Basic rules of engagement before play starts. These rules are broad guidelines determining how to operate in combat. For instance, how far out do you generally fire? Are your leaders used for rallying or do you keep them for attacking with fire bases and so on? So, and then he is suggesting mm -hmm. some general rules over here on the right-hand page, which, by the way, has the ASL rulebook 2nd edition errata, errata in it. And one thing he suggests is fire ordnance support weapons before the inherent firepower to avoid the support weapon from being prohibited from firing due to cowering. Say that again. When you got a squad with uh, ATR, bazooka, mortar, fire the inherent firepower first, the squad's firepower. Oh, I'm sorry. Or flamethrower. The fl <clears throat> fire the weapon first to avoid, because if your squad fires and cowers, they can't fire. They're inherent. The, well, yeah, the, the weapon. Oh. So fire a weapon first. Fire inherent first. Then you're inherent. No, because that, oh. that may cower you. Fire the weapon first. Panzerfaust. Consider firing provided the final to hit roll needed is at least a four. You know, you're always thinking, should I try and fire it? Uh, general guideline. Deliberate immobilization. Consider providing the armor fire. Consider using it provided the... AFV can be affected by a final to kill die roll less than or equal to four. Heroes, stack with the best MMC unit or best medium machine gun, heavy machine gun. Fire them using the heroic modifier if possible. Oh, yeah. Standard rule. Good one. 
Uh, advanced fire phase, form multi-location fire groups to maximize firepower in the advanced phases because, you know, it's halved. Yeah. So, But, you know, it's always it always works this way. You get the big stack, the and 36 then, or yeah, whatever, and, then you and you roll, roll t- 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And if I have multiple small stacks, because it's always, it's always the residual firepower of two. That gets you. That gets you. It's always the small numbers that get you. The big numbers never get me anything. Yeah. Why is that? It's often true. That's, somebody can tell me. Somebody, yeah, I'm sure somebody can tell some me. Some kind of rule for that. Yeah. Final protector fire. Yeah. When do you use it? Well, consider it if your unit's morale level is greater than or equal to seven. Because average rolling. Yeah. Right? Uh, plus all dyro modifiers. Um, crew exposure button up, which I don't do well at crew exposing, and I should do it more. Button up as soon as possible after gaining line of sight to a known target within 12 hexes or within normal range with the medium machine gun or heavy machine gun. Bounding first fire during your movement phase. Consider bounding first fire at a target with the highest to kill against you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Always, always look yeah. for that. Take out the big baddie. Bounding fire. Conduct bounding fire versus available targets in the advanced phase unless your main armament has a circled B number of less than or equal to 10. I'll take your word on that. Yeah, I guess. Bounding fire could be done in the movement phase or in right. the advanced fire phase. I usually wait for the advanced fire phase. I don't know why, though. Non-mandatory route. Consider routing if your unit can end the route phase either in or adjacent to a good order leader and or in a rally bonus terrain location. Do not use it if it can be interdicted. Leader route. Always route a leader with a routing unit unless it can be interdicted. Yeah. Standard game rule. Yeah. Voluntary break. Consider breaking whenever it's in your best interest. This is often overlooked by new players. Oh, he doesn't say when, but when it's in your best interest. Close combat melee. When given a choice, consider all three options equally. The combining all units against a single defending unit, mm-hmm. a single combined attack against all defenders, and a series of attacks matching each attacking unit against each defending unit. Although he, again, he doesn't say when you should use those, but he's saying be aware of that. Yeah, and that's one where you got to get out your statistics and figure out the odds yeah. and all that stuff, which I find horribly dull. But I really <laughs> need to learn that stuff. I think that would help my game quite a bit. I'm taking the long shots. I have yeah. the next article. B9.5, Bocage by Ian Daglish. Uh, the Lady in Daglish. The, yes, um, very sad, Miss Ian. Um, and he was always uh, big into the Bokash at this point. Remember, we were playing all those Bokash scenarios yeah. from that pack, and he talked to us about those when we were lucky enough to uh, get that interview with him. Um, and he writes, ASL succeeds in covering all theaters of World War II and with, remarkably, few basic terrain types. So why does the game require special rules for hedgerows found almost exclusively in a small part of northwestern France? Suffice it to say that the strategic importance of the area beyond Normandy beaches is matched only by the ability of the fighting there to capture our imagination. The revised rules on walls and wall advantage in the second edition remove any confusions. And um, great picture here. Look at that. Yeah, that's, that's it's really like a cool. tunnel. It is. <laughs> it's all overgrown. 
Magnificent. <laughs> Looks like something from Lord of the Rings. It does. Yeah. Close of a bocage, sunken road, uses defensive positions. Uh, and the, the overgrowth of foliage has grown right around the top. Um, in game terms, he writes, the increased movement factors across bocage should not be seen to represent the effort needed to break through. For most cases, this would be impossible for any infantry except assault engineers. So you're not actually clearing the bocage out or anything, right? Instead, regard the plus two movement factor as representing the time it takes to find a practical gap uh, or, most often, a gateway through which men funnel one at a time. For example, in the early hours of 6th of June, Colonel Shanley's paratroopers found the only gap in their bocage-bounded field had been blocked by a crashed glider. There was no possibility of penetrating the thorny foliage. The only way out of the field under fire was through the fuselage of the wrecked glider. Wow. Now, that's not in the game where, you know, you can't get through the bocage. No, it's not. That's pretty rare. Yeah, must be. Or do you want to add a page of rules? Uh, no. Um, Bocage tactics. He talks about both uh, defense here. He writes, These realities underlie the special concealment rules that apply to Bocage. In ASL terms, not only is concealment both harder to lose and easier to gain, it's even possible for moving units to retain concealment in line of sight of the enemy so long as they remain behind Bocage. Remember that? Yeah. And there's another tactic available to the defenders behind Bocage hexides. A unit may prep fire through a Bokash hex side and then in the defensive fire phase claim the in-hex TEM voiding line of sight from their previous target's return fire remember that they can prep through the Bokash yeah. and then in, in the defensive fire phase claim in-hex terrain like the building in the hex which then says oh, they're not okay. so then they're not at uh, the hedge yeah. and he can't so shoot so they're back. out of line of sight yeah, unfair, possibly so, but perfectly historical. The only constraint is that the voluntary relinquishment of wall advantage must now be declared before the enemy declares his defensive fire. Oh, so you have to remember to do it before the guy starts shooting yeah. at you. okay. And, of course, wall advantage once relinquished may not so easily be regained. Movement in ASL bocage terrain requires even more close attention than usual. The sequence in which units are moved can be critical. Before a unit enjoying wall advantage over adjacent enemies can be moved out of its hex, it's vital to move another unit in, or you will find those enemies have claimed the cover your men were enjoying, leaving them out in the open. So be very careful to retain your, your wall advantage. And he talks about armor here. I didn't highlight anything in that section. He continues uh, talking about artillery observation. I didn't highlight anything there. But on page 70, he has notes on the second edition walls and hedges then and now. And it looks like I highlighted this part. Uh, with the bocage now, you can still retain concealment even while moving and even grow concealment with no more than that a, a bocage hexide between you and your enemy. Not new, just much more clearly expressed. And here's the punchline, as promised above. My squad that has prep fired through the bocage hexide can still decide, oh, to forfeit while well, we did those. Sorry. Sorry, I like them so much they appeared twice and yeah. I highlighted them twice. Well, it's worth noting twice. So here's a nice, quick, and dirty summary by Bruce Probst of the new wall advantage rules as of second edition. Second edition, yeah. You can only claim wall advantage in the following circumstances. 
Do you want to try and name some of them? Make it a little quiz show? Sure. Let me get out the, uh, the bell. Okay. Shoot. Go ahead. When? What? Can you set up? Could you repeat the question, please, <laughs> Senator? <laughs> yeah. You can only claim wall advantage in the following. When? When can you claim, when can you claim wall advantage? First thing in the morning upon arriving, uh, arising. No. Jokes are so much better. If, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Ever since I've given up alcohol, I can't tell a joke. Okay, when can you claim wall advantage? During setup? Yes. During the route phase? No. At the end of any rally phase? Yes. During a friendly unit's movement phase, advance phase? No. Yes. Can be done prior to expending any movement oh. points. And can be done. Oh, friendly movement. Yes, friendly. Oh, friendly, yes, friendly. friendly. Yeah. Friendly. Uh, when losing hip status? Hmm. I'm going to say yes. Yes. Yeah. When all adjacent enemies lose their wall advantage? Yes. Yes. A unit in a location with no in-hex TEM of at least plus one must claim wall advantage as soon as possible. Right. Assuming it's otherwise eligible to do so. A unit in a location which does not have in-hex TEM must be marked with a wall advantage counter to claim wall advantage. Mm -hmm. You can forfeit it at any time, and you must forfeit it if you don't meet the basic requirements for eligibility, which at a minimum is being armed and unbroken. Pin TI immobilized units cannot voluntarily claim or forfeit wall advantage. Okay. Pinned, I guess you can't move. Yeah. TI, I guess you're busy. Immobilized. And that's pretty much it. Aside from these changes noted above, the specifics are pretty much the same as first edition. Just a lot easier to find. Yeah. There you go. And concluding here with the Daglish article. Uh, near the end. Similarly, if any fully tracked... <clears throat> Armor fighting vehicle can crash over the bocage in the movement phase. It can, and so, so long as it survives immobilization and underbelly hits, it too will allow wall advantage to be stolen, even if it's immobilized or destroyed in the hex. Note, wall advantage loss in these cases is not dependent on the loss of good order or being locked in melee. All that is needed is the presence of a non-hidden, non-prisoner enemy unit, and wall advantage will be lost. Does that make any sense? I'm going to say not really. <laughs> so if any fully tracked armored vehicle can crash over the bocage in the movement phase, yeah. it too will allow wall advantage to be stolen. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking is about. Is that the enemies? Yeah, I don't know. Well, one final point on tactics. Although wall advantage is not applicable for units beneath an entrenchment counter, infantry and crest status may obtain wall advantage, although enjoying some of the benefits of entrenchment. Oh, did not know that one. Hey, what are you guys doing? We're enjoying some of the benefits of entrenchment. <laughs> and he has a nice... Ah, get up there and start shooting. A nice comprehensive deluxe wall advantage example there. Did you do this one? American Tragedy? No, I think that was yours. I did uh, first do no harm. Oh, well. I did not do it. So, anyway, this is American Tragedy, the story behind the scenario. Oh, okay. 
It's the Kakazu Ridge one that's in this oh, yes. issue. Okay. So putting talking about the historical stuff and then how Dan Dolan is writing here with Jeff Coyle. Some general notes. Uh-huh. Oh, I did something back here. Oh, advice for playing that scenario. Patience is the key for the American. Caves don't have to be sealed until the start of Japanese player turn seven. The Americans have many DCs, but not enough to waste them. Take a close look at rule G11.833 and rule Fumpty Fumpf <laughs> and the 30 firepower column on the IFT. You need a five or less to seal a cave occupied by an unconcealed good order multi-man counter. The odds are much better that roll of nine or less when the cave is empty or held by a broken half squad. So increase your odds by trying to seal them when you get rid of the enemy. That's where time and your firepower come into play. After four or five turns, Japanese player will be forced to leave caves empty or to be held by half squads. And all it takes is one more shot by your flamethrower or point-blank 24 or 30 firepower shot to get that last break. The demo toadying 337 waltzes up and seals the cave. The precise choreography of this ballet will depend on the Japanese setup and the longevity of the flamethrowers, but a careful assault in the northern caves of Kakazu Ridge should keep you immune from too many nasty surprises at game end. Ta-da! There, that's some good notes for the American. And I believe the final article of this gigantic journal, which we which we have spent much time on, much valuable time, is called First Do No Harm. I think it's the final article. Designer Notes on the Second Edition by Perry Cock. And this article is about the ideas and the work that went into creating the second edition of the ASL rulebook, which is something I'm sure they weren't particularly relishing for something this big, but in his uh, opening paragraph he says, First do no harm. This basic premise of medicine was a guiding light in our efforts to produce the ASL rulebook second edition. ASL essentially works well, and the last thing we wanted to do was change that, or cause players to have to relearn areas of the rules that already work. Our primary goal was to incorporate all the existing errata and those Q&A that we felt were not already clear in the text of the rules. So he goes on and he talks about kind of the method that they did going back and forth with um, all these rules that I just can't even imagine. I don't know what year that was. I, I suppose they had computers in those days, so probably... Oh, yeah. It probably wasn't all that bad. But uh, And rather than go through that, I'll just... I just highlighted a few of the uh, specifics additions and changes that they made. Chapter A. One of the first additions what they did was move collateral attacks to Chapter D. Why? Because, the, he says, the rule wasn't broken, but many people suggested that the first page of the rules was the wrong place oh, yeah, for collateral for attack. absolutely rule. was. People would say, I ran into collateral attacks and I stopped reading. And I can believe that. I think that's what happened to me when I had my first rule book that I had. <laughs> Somebody gave me a first edition rule book, and I thought, oh, okay, I'll start at page one. That didn't go well. Uh, rule A4.63, we clarified that a dashing unit must declare its destination at the start of the dash. 
because they didn't do that before. Okay. I don't think I ever declare my destination. You got to you gotta declare where you're going. Across the street there. Yeah, so what? And I guess... So you I guess go if you, veer a little left yeah, or right, right on right. the hexes, so... Right, you could either go to the right or the left hex. Okay, so you got to declare where you're going. A7.37, we added the incremental IFT as an optional rule. Too popular overseas to keep out, too controversial to make official. Footnote 10a explains conditional PTCs and some of our thinking. Note that foot uh, the footnote number. Uh, in order to keep the footnotes in their original order without having to renumber them all, we gave the new footnotes an alphanumeric identifier. So Okay. So I, IFT, you don't use it, do you? No. Did you ever? No. You never played with it? I did uh, a little bit. Once or twice, but Yeah, first no. early on I did, but... Uh, since then, no, because nobody I play really wants to use. Yeah, it. and I like Bob's idea that you know you kind of memorize the other one. Yeah, so don't want to mess around with that. Uh, skipping ahead here, a ten point five. The route rules have been confusing people since the beginning and needed some significant rewriting. No significant changes, mostly just rewriting. The one real change I think I can think of is the routing unit must designate its destination at the start of its route phase. Oh. And will we'll route toward it unless prevented by a newly known enemy unit. Uh, we don't do that, we do we? We don't do that either. We kind of change as we go. Well, it takes so long, so long to sometimes figure out where you want to route to. Yeah. I mean, you have to sit and do all that thinking anyway and to declare it. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. We just let guys change their minds as they're routing. Oh, can't make that well, one. Okay, then go over there. Okay. Listen, if you want to continue doing it wrong, that's up to you. If you want to play it wrong... <laughs> Why don't you just start your own game? <laughs> Call it B BSL instead of ASL. Or DSL for Dave's squad leader. I might do that. DSL. Just tear out every other page of the rule book. B10.1. This spells out that inherent terrain rises, and the, the, I always have trouble with this. Inherent terrain rises from the actual depiction of the hill. Other terrain on hills rise from the depiction of that building or woods terrain. Example, all woods in a level 1 hill hex rise to level 2. But in an orchard hex, only the actual hill depiction rises to level 2. Oh, well, actually, now I understand it. Okay. Sometimes reading aloud is all I need. <laughs> uh, B B13.421. This rule clarifies that a vehicle entering a woods hex on a road must check for bog to exit that wood roads hex by a non-road hex site. But this would not leave a partial trail brake counter, since partial trail brake counters are never left behind. This allows a vehicle in a woods road hex to set up in the woods portion on a partial trail brake, thus signifying it is not on the road. A vehicle set up in a normal woods hex, however, does not get a partial trail brake and does not need to check for bog to exit. Superb. So there. C10.5. We added Enporti rules, which we talked about a little earlier, incorporating various vehicle notes. Hey, do you have an Enporti counters? Uh-huh, somewhere. I have never seen those. You have to show whip those out for me. Uh, C11.6. We straightened out the gun destruction table, making it consistent with the rest of the rules. Note that unpossessed guns are not part of a random selection pool for an indirect fire KIA if personnel are involved. And uh, D2.401, speaking of pet fee peeves, 
one of mine goes back to when Gary Fortenberry was wielding ASL power for the Avalon Hill Game Company, he was bound and determined to issue Q&A stating that a motion attempt was made at the end of the movement phase, after all movement, rather than at the end of a moving unit's movement phase, after all its movement. And he goes on quite extensively explaining that. It's just amazing to me. The only reason why I highlighted this one is the level of detail you can get to with ASL. And, yes. And, and thereby have no fun. And I, yeah, I don't <laughs> think I worry about that much either. But do you ever play and then you think, oh, wait a minute. Before the sniper, can I duck? Did I remember? Yes, quite often. Do you ever kind of make up or think that there are more detailed rules than there actually are? Oh. I was thinking I'm I'm forgetting something. Before I walk into the street, do I have to declare that my shoes are shined? And then he says, that's why we did this. And take a look at the credits on page J2. A lot of people's hard work went into making ASL Rulebook 2 possible. Give them your thanks. I do. And my personal thanks go to Kurt Schilling for his unwavering dedication to ASL excellence and his unstinting hard work on this project. And, of course, to Jeff and Dave. Excellent. we got to mention. And that wraps up ASL Journal 3. A hefty tome, if ever there was one. Actually, it's a pretty good one. Yeah. Worth buying. If you don't have it, buy it. Definitely. With all those scenarios. But don't pay gouge prices for it. Somebody will, if you ask somebody nicely, they'll sell it to you at face value. Well, Dave, that was amazing. I could go on and on and on, but maybe we should call it a night. We should call it a night. (laughs) Yes. What are you drinking there? Water. Nice French. And bass. Bass ale. Which is English, not French. French. Uh, Bass, if you say it like this. Bass. Uh, Bass. Yeah. This uh, wraps up episode, let's see, Ein Fünfti. What's four? Eins, zwei, drei, eins, zwei, drei, sechst. That's six. Eins, zwei, drei. Eins, zwei, I just did it earlier. Eins, zwei, drei. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. 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 Ein Fünfti vier. Ein Fünfti vier. Here's for I'm from Tiver. So we're going to wrap this up, and we're going to invite you to join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads. Yes, indeed, folks. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Jeffrey. And until then, remember to roll le. And roll well. But not while you are playing, playing us. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Bye-bye. Makes me think of that monkey accordion stick back in whatever episode that was. Oh, yeah. We used to play organ grinder music on me. (laughs) Suddenly, I want to put on a beret and get some wine. You have a beret. Run around in my wooden shoes. Where's your beret? It doesn't fit anymore. Head size doesn't change. Oh. The beret got small. (laughs) 